Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Okay, well, good morning again. See if anybody knows how to finish this one. God is 2 Timothy chapter 1, 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but... Okay, some of you have read that before. Okay, we're going to do that again. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. And so I came across these this past week regarding fear. There are so many phobias. I, I was shocked. So I put a few of them up here. And, uh, uh, okay, I'm, I'm ophthalmophobia. A fear of being stared at. Go ahead, take a look at the person next to you. How do you feel? Ah, That's not a problem here. Okay. Next. Okay, this one here. A fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of the mouth. Next. A fear of Friday the 13th. Next. A fear of knees. It's, yeah, a fear of beards, fear of trees. Yeah, there's a fear of going to school. Hey, I, I had that one. Yeah, you had that one too. Look at, wow, fear of long words. Try to get your hand, okay. Fear of crowds, fear of being looked at by other people, fear of loneliness, fear of God, fear of hell. Well, and there's, there's, honestly, there's probably a hundred more of these great big words, uh, how they come up with them. Uh, we are not talking about any of those. We are talking in the series of today, I want to kind of bring it home. We are talking about holy God. And in that context that there is a awe, reverence, a hallowedness to God. Not a hallowedness that he is separate we can never approach because he solved that problem. He made the way possible that we can come boldly into his presence. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So the New Testament provided a way because of Christ and what he did. He became the bridge to Father, to Papa God. But having said that, we acknowledge that more often in Scripture... It talks about the fear of the Lord, and this doesn't mean we are afraid of Him. It means He is a holy God. He's not just a genie. He's not a wishful fairy to do our bidding. He's not a God who's whimsical. Therefore, if you do good, you do good. If you don't do good, well, too bad. God really doesn't, can't do anything about it. That's not it. There are so many references that refer to the fear of the Lord. Now, here's the problem that we've had in talking about this because that word fear does not translate. In, our word fear is not the right one, but we don't have a right one. And so, understanding the Greek and the Hebrew have six words for every one of our English words. The word fear can't be directly translated from what the Bible is saying. So therefore, in the last six weeks, I have been stumbling through using phrases like hallowedness of God, holy God, 
the fear of God, the awe of God, the reverence of God, because they're all it. Put all those together, and that's what it's referencing when it refers to the fear of the Lord. Again, our English language doesn't do it justice because when we speak of fear, we think of all those great big crazy words we just saw. God's not given us a spirit of that. But there is something about having a holy awe of who he is. You said it before, the love of God will get you started on that journey. But it's the fear of the Lord that will make you victorious to the end. It's the fear of the Lord. And we live in a time where the fear of the Lord is not embraced. The fear of the Lord is not talked about. The awe of God is something that we, we relegate to ancient times. They had superstitions and so they were fearful people. But we live in the modern 21st century after all. We don't have that. Might I say that is a problem? Because we have elevated the societal heroes of our life, whether they be your sports heroes, your entertainers, your politicians, whoever they might be, to the status of where God is in our life. And so the Bible talks about we worship him in the image we have made of him. But it's not his real image. And so we worship a false God. We worship something created after ourselves, something we're, we're comfortable with, a Jesus we can handle. And so when conversation, here's, here's the thing, and, and this becomes apparent. When conversations and people talk about, you know, I go to church, I, I worship, I love Jesus, and yet in their lifestyle it does not line up with God's word, there's a serious disconnection. I'm going to say it's because of the lack of the awe of God. When we treat him lightly, when we treat him anything less than he really is. And so uh, we've been spending a bit of time talking about this. Um, I started our whole time off with the story that came out back in the late 1980s of Jimmy Baker, evangelist Jimmy Baker with the PTL club. And he was charged and sent to jail. He served his time by embezzlement and some other stuff. Uh, and, and there, here's this, this really a Christian uh, figure who many had given money to, many had uh, listened to his songs and his teachings. He was in jail. Somebody interviewed him. I shared this. And, and uh, he had said, made this statement. He said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I never stopped loving him. He could worship with the best of us. He could go to church with the best of us. He could quote scripture with the best of us. He says, what I lost was the fear of the Lord. I took God for granted. And prison put him back in place again. He says, I, this, this is God's blessing for me, was prison. Prison was what got him. He said, prison saved my life. This, all the things that happened saved my life. And, and there's something to be said about that there is a call, a journey back where we will triumph in an in, intimate relationship that will get us to the end victorious and the generation that will follow us. A pastor was counseling a middle-aged couple, a Christian couple. They'd been coming to his church. The pastor was, was counseling them as they were, they were contemplating marriage. They were living together, though. 
So the pastor's advice for them was, well, first of all, we need to do what's right and biblical. You need to separate, move to separate living quarters, and prepare for marriage, prepare for marriage in accordance with God's word. The response back from the 45-year-old man getting married, he said this, quote, I know we're sinning, but we will eventually marry and then ask God for forgiveness. Now, that happens all the time. Similar to that. Happens all the time. I hear it every year. Not those words. I know it's, I know God doesn't want me to do that, but, and that's evidence there's no fear of God in their hearts and their lives. That there's going through, you look the part, but the awe of God has not grasped your heart. There's a big problem with that. Hosea chapter 8 verse 7, the prophet Hosea said, If you sow to the wind, you will reap a whirlwind. And people are sowing to the wind, things here today, things to the wind, things that are not true to God's word, and we're reaping a nation of that. Why is the nation the way it is? Because we've lost the fear of the Lord. Churches have still got their doors open. We still got the lights on. We got the heat coming in. But there has been a loss of the fear of God, the awe of God, that we tremble at his word and we say, God, I will do nothing outside of what your heart and your will is for my life. And it becomes the driving motivator for everything we do in life. That largely has been lost. And so you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. Nobody can mock God. Nobody can elude the inescapable law. What you sow, you will reap. We'd like to believe there's nothing about God to fear. We want to hope he's passive towards our actions. We want to hope that he understands us. But it doesn't work that way. To have a holy awe of God is not contradicting to have a fearing, a, to fear a God of love. Let me give an illustration of that. Uh, when my kids were small, they understood a little about what that meant. They understood that the same daddy who kissed them, me, who cuddled them and tickled them and jostled with them and bought them all kinds of ice cream was the same daddy who also welded judgment in the home too. That was not contradictory. It was complementary. You can't have that without this. And when we talk about the awe of God, we want a God who just gives us the ice cream, but no, he's also a God who is God. He is the eternal one, unchanging one, the ancient of days. You can't change that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. Let me read that again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. When there's true sorrow for sin, then it truly leads to salvation and no regret. But there is a worldly sorrow. We're going to talk about that today. There's a worldly sorrow because this is one of the biggest hindrances against having the reverence and holy awe of God is we lack sorrow. 
sorrow for the things that he is sorrowful for. James chapter 1, verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So I've used a number of people in biblical times to try to share what it means to have the awe of God. We've talked last week of Abraham, a friend of God. We talked about Moses as he would go on the mountain and he would be in the presence of a holy God. We even talked about King David and King Saul and King David bringing the ark back in, the ark of his presence and what happened. We talked about Isaiah who saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the angels cried holy and it echoed through the chambers of heaven. We began into the New Testament, Acts chapter 2 church, and Ananias and Sapphira, who went through the motions of holiness, but immediately judgment came upon them. We saw about John, the beloved disciple, who when he beheld God and he had a picture of heaven, he fell down as if he was dead because he saw, this is the same person who put his head in the bosom of Jesus himself. When he saw the massiveness of the glory of God, a picture in a vision, He couldn't breathe. It took his breath away. We have no idea. (laughs) We really don't. And it's probably good because we probably would lose our breath too. God, give me enough for me to handle. Give me enough for me to handle. But, oh God, may it never stop. May it not relent. God, we call on you to know you more. So let's go to Numbers chapter 22. This is our last session on this. Numbers chapter 22. I'm going to, as you're turning there, please grab your Bibles for this. I'm going to be pointing out some things. You need to go back to it. I really encourage you bring your Bibles so you can mark it, so you can go back to it. Numbers 22, that's where we're going. Uh, in a few weeks from now, really the month of March, April, maybe early May, uh, we're going to be talking about the family. We're going to talk series called, a new series coming up called Home. Home. Because we have to talk about the families now for a while. Uh, There's a lot of stuff going on. And we need to gather around God's word when it comes to marriages, when it comes to after marriage, when it comes to our children, when it comes to relationships, comes to home. So we're going to be doing that. I'm looking forward to it. I'm beginning to prep for that. And uh, I believe God's got something tremendous planned. We're going to go to... Numbers chapter 22, a person who's less known than the ones we've talked of previously, Balaam. If you've grown up in church, you probably were fascinated by the talking donkey story. The talking donkey story. It seems too weird to be true. And it really does. But, hey, if Jesus can walk on water, if he can heal the sick, if he can calm the storms, and on and on and on, You can make anything talk. And so a talking donkey. Well, this is kind of the story here. So Numbers chapter 22, we're going to do a lot of reading. Have you got it? I know I've got it up here in front of you, but you might want to have it on your your lap as well. Verse 4, the last part. So Balak, son of Zippur, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Bor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt, they've covered their face, they cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. 
Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed. Whoever you curse is cursed. He's talking to a prophet. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Baal, Balaam's a prophet, prophet of Israel, they told him what Balak, King Balak, had said. Verse 8, spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite official stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Can I pause here? When God asks you a question, he's not seeking information. Just clear that up. He's not seeking information. He's trying to point out something. Okay. Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people has come out of Egypt, covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. I want to talk, the if I was to put a title on today, the theme would be, We need to be strong to the end. It's not how you start the race, it's how you finish. We've got to be strong, got to be strong. Let me unpack that a little bit. Balaam is a prophet of Israel. Back in that day, God would speak to the prophets to speak to the people. King Balak, he's the king of Moab and Midian, had heard how the Israelites wiped out every nation they encountered. Nations way more powerful than his. And now the Israelites were camped next door to him. And he was scared spitless. So he sets forth a scheme. If he could get their prophet to come and curse them, bring a curse of God upon them, they would lose the battle. If you read again verse 7, 8, and 9, it basically is telling us in those verses, is telling us that Balaam, God's prophet, replies to them, their request, to go to God and get permission to curse the Israelites. That was their request. But verse 7, 8, 9 tells us that Balaam replies, I'll go and ask God what he wants. God comes to him and says, why are you asking me this? Basically, you already know the answer. I got some teaching points in here. You want to write these down. Here it is. Church, there are some things you don't need to pray about. Yeah, yeah, write that down. There are some things you don't need to pray about. <gasps> because God has already said in his word what to do. Don't, you don't have to ask God. If he's already said it, he's already said it. There are some things you don't have to pray about. There are some things we don't need to get counsel about because it's already clearly stated in God's word. But God still gives an answer. Numbers chapter 22, verse 12. 
God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. Now, is any part of that confusing? Did he mince words with that? Like, I look at that and I go, okay, that's simple. God didn't have a great big spewing on and on and on about something. It's very simple. I'm going to read it again. But God said to Balaam, here it is. Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. Pretty clear. Verse 13. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now, I want to have teaching point number two. Note the word refused. Mark it. Note the word refused. There's a reluctance with this word. There's other words he could have used, but he used refuse. Refuse means to be denied. God just denied you. Basically, Balaam comes back and he says, I want to go, but I'm being refrained from going with you. So go back. Catch the words, because this is going to make sense in a minute. Catch the words flowing out of this. So the question is, does he obey God? Yes, He did tell them to go back, but there's more. Pick it up, verse 14. Then Balak sent other officials, more numerous, more distinguished. Okay, would you mark those two words, more distinguished? Mark them. More distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will, here it is, note that I will reward you handsomely. And do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. The the word's more distinguished. Because the devil knew what works. He always knows what works. James chapter 1 verse 14 it says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desire and enticed. The devil knows your desire. Mm -mm. He knows it. He knows what each of our desires are. Our desires are unique from each other. And he is willing to pay the price to get you into disobedience. He'll pay your price to get you into the place of disobedience. And this is exactly what happened to Balaam. He is being enticed by his own desires. Listen, the devil can't entice you with something you don't desire. He can't entice you with something you don't desire. But if you haven't put something under the cross of Jesus, you can be enticed by it. There are things I have to keep putting under the cross of Jesus every day. Because there are some natural desires. I put it under the cross of Jesus every day. I have to. Because the enemy knows that's where he's going to trip me. So do you. If you've not placed it regularly and keep it under the cross of Jesus, mm, you're in danger. Let me give an example. I can go up to Pastor Daniel. I can say, hey, Daniel, I'm offering you a Coors Light. He'd laugh at me and say, get lost. (laughs) Because the Coors Light doesn't entice Daniel. But there are some things that could. There are some things that could. The devil will meet his price. It's just not Coors Light. But someone else here, that would be your enticement, a Coors Light, a drink. 
Ah, we're talking your language. Maybe your language is a pretty gal or an understanding guy. Maybe your language is things. You like things a lot. Maybe your language is prestige and power. Your language is to be accepted. Hey, we've got a price. All of us have a price. We all have a price. If you don't put it under the cross of Jesus every single day, we all have a price. Balaam had a price, and the devil was meeting it. When it comes to the holy awe and fear of God, we got to understand that we've got to be victorious. We've got to place those things under the cross of Jesus every day and be victorious if you don't, if you mess with it, if you play with it. Remember, you've got a desire. He knows what it is. The devil will meet your praise. Numbers chapter 22, verse 17. Let's continue. He had said, I will reward you handsomely. Note the part here. Mark this in your Bibles now. Do whatever you say. I will reward you handsomely, money, and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Whatever you say. This king has a lot to offer. Okay, he's a king. He can actually, like if it was a, a peasant that offered that, it's like, so what? What can you give me? But this is a king. He can give you some stuff. I will do whatever you say. Don't think Balaam doesn't know that. Verse 18. But Balaam answered him, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace. Can I just pause there for a second? He never offered silver and gold in his palace. When he says, I'm going to offer you anything, that's what silver and gold in his palace. Because that's how he answered back. Did you see that? Even if you offer all the silver and gold, I didn't see him offer that. He said he would give him stuff, things. He would reward him. He would do anything. And in Balaam, that's what the anything looked like. Yeah, so you can see it in his words. I, I chuckle as I read through this. Even if Balaam gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, as if he'd really do that, I could not do anything, great or small, to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now, remember, earlier we talked about where he, he said God refused him. Now I want you to mark the words, I could not. I could not. He should have said, if his heart was different, I would not. No matter what you do, I will not go against my God. You can offer me the world. But you cannot bribe me. But he didn't say it. I could not. People know that if you willfully disobey the will of God, God will not bless you. And this is what, this is where Balak was going. He was going after this. He wanted either the blessing or the curse. And he knew the curse would bring damnation upon that nation. Numbers chapter 22 verse 19 Balaam says to the messengers, he says, now spend the night here so I can go and find out what else the Lord will tell me. Like, more money's going to change God's mind? He really doesn't need, God's already spoken. I remember, I remember somebody telling me this once a long time ago, and never forget it. When should we obey God? When he tells us once. Right? You know, I, I, I remember when my kids were small, and you'd ask them to do something, and they wouldn't. And you'd ask them. And then I had, you know... One, two, three thing, right? One, right? two, and I had to learn, don't raise your voice because it's not in the one, two, three. It's in, 
it's how much they can get away with. If you say three and there's no ramifications, they're gonna, they'll take you to three. My kids were running at number two. Okay, they were running. If dad ever hit three, if dad hit three, and I didn't slow down for three, it was one, it was two. Okay, I'll talk more about that when we talk about the families because there's a whole training of children that has, has, is um, it's being challenged. In this, in this passage here when he was talking about this blessing and uh, needing to go back and ask God, listen, if God has said it, you obey the first time. But he says, I'm going to go back and ask again. I'll, I'll go back and ask again. Because he's still trying to get God to agree with him. Do you see what's happening? He's trying to get God to agree with him. Now, here's the crazy thing. The story kind of spins out sideways here. So, verse 20. That night, God came to Balaam and said, "Since listen to this. Since these men have come to summon you, go with them. But do only what I tell you. Now, God had just said, don't go with them. And now he tells them, go with them. So Balaam has the word of God to go. So let's pick it up. So the next morning he does what God told him to do. Verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. Verse 22. But God was very angry when he went. Mark those words in your Bible. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and the two servants were with him. Teaching moment again. Balaam should never have asked the question in the first place about putting a curse on God's people, but he did. Then after he had asked the question, God says, no, don't go with them, don't do any of it. Balaam did his stuff, being enticed, all that stuff going on over here. He's coming back, he asks again. And then God says, no. And then God says, yes. What's going on here? Is it no? Is it yes, God? You just changed your mind. It says here, but God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. So what's going on? Another teaching point. Here it is. If you really, really want something, God will eventually give you permission to have it, even if it is not in his will, and even if he knows, you'll be judged by it. I'm going to prove this. You think you're getting away with something? God's allowed you? You begged him for something? He'll give it to you. Many times he'll give it to you. You don't want it. You don't want it. We think because we got it. We think because we got that position. We got that place. We did that and got away with it. We got that whatever it was that was in disobedience. We think that God was okay with it. Okay? going to read it again. If you really, really want something, God will eventually give you permission to have it, even if it is not in his will, and even if he knows you will be judged by it. Here's some illustrations. A year ago, I did a series called The Crown, and I started with King Saul, then I went to King David. I was going to go to King Solomon, but we jumped ship. So in King Saul, remember the story of King Saul? Israel, the story around King Saul, Israel wanted a king, and God said, no, time's wrong. And if you study that in Samuel, they wanted a king. They wanted a king. The other nations have a king. He goes out to war. People rally around a king. He brings unity to the nations. We are a laughingstock because we have, they had all kinds of good excuses. Because, again, they're comparing themselves with the people this way. 
They wanted a king. They wanted a king. God says no. They would come back time and time again. And God relented, gave them King Saul. They got King Saul. And the very thing that God warned them happened. Did God give them King Saul? Yes and no. He did because they begged him when they needed to have stopped. Let me use another illustration. The children of Israel in the desert. They had come out of Egypt. They're in the desert. They're complaining about food. God gives them manna, supernatural, the best food available, healthy for them. But they made the request, we want meat. Psalms 106. We want meat. You can read it. And they kept badgering. We want meat. Griping, complaining, murmuring, on and on. So God answers their request. Let's read it. Psalms 78, 26. God let loose the east wind from the heavens and led forth the south wind by his power. He rained meat down on them like dust, flying birds like sand of the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp and all around their tents. They ate till they had more than enough, for he had given them what they craved. But before they turned from the food they craved, even while it was still in their mouth, God's anger rose against them. He put to death the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. Did God give them what they asked? Yes. Because they begged for it. We often think we're getting away with stuff. This is the point. Holy God, we gotta, we got to grab this. We think it's okay. The world is getting away with it. But church, they're not. They're not. Here it says they ate until it turned to mush and they rot, it rotted right in their mouth. God miraculously did answer their prayer. They got what they asked for, but judgment came even before they could finish eating. Perhaps today, the word is if you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed until God releases you from something to go and do something else. But be careful you are not going against God's will. He doesn't change his mind. He will not relent. Or sorry, he, he possibly will relent on giving you what you continue to beg for because your heart is hard. Another illustration is Elijah, the prophet. Elijah would sit down under what they called a broom tree and he brooded. We read of this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. And this was after the story where he confronted the prophets of Baal. And after three and a half years of famine, the heavens opened up. The rain began to pour down. He confronted the prophets. Fire came down upon the altar, consumed the altar that was wet. And, but God had spoken to him not only to deal with the prophets. He had spoken to him to deal with Jezebel, the ringleader. And he didn't. What he did is he ran from her. God supernaturally sustained him when he was in the desert. He just wanted to die. He was afraid. God sustained him in the desert. And then Elijah turns around. He runs to Mount Horeb in the story of 1 Kings chapter 19. And the first thing God says to him when he arrives at Mount Horeb, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now remember, God never asks for the purpose of information. Elijah, what are you doing? When God asks you a question, you need to stop and think through what's going on. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, you sent me. You gave me food to come here. And God said, Elijah, basically I'm paraphrasing, you didn't finish the job. When you killed the false prophets, you had to go for the ringleader, and you chose not to. 
What did God have to do? He had to raise up Elisha. And Elisha finished his job. Church, listen, if you really want something, God will let you have it. You'll get what you want. God will not force any one of us here to obey him. But God is looking for a people who delight in his word. A people who don't feel they're being restrained by God's word. What can I get away with, God? What can I get away with? What can I get away with? How can I cut corners and get what I want in life? God's looking for a people that, that surrender those things under the cross. He's looking for a people whose hearts are committed to him. He's looking for a people who will stand in awe of him and obey him quickly because their hearts are for him and him alone. So, Numbers chapter 22, let's continue. It's not over yet. Verse 22. But God was very angry when he went. The angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyard with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Poor donkey. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it again. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth part we all love and the donkey spoke what have I done to you to make you beat me three times Balaam answered the donkey and I just imagine now you have made a fool of me if only I had a sword in my hand I would kill you right now the donkey said to Balaam am I not your own donkey which you have always ridden to this day have I been in the habit of doing this to you no then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, not towards the donkey, might I say. He bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path, note the words, is a reckless one. There's another one. Mark that one. Reckless. Reckless. A religious spirit is one who uses God's word to execute his own will. A religious spirit is one who uses God's word to execute your will. Balaam obeyed God out of his own desire, not God's desire, reluctantly. And remember, we come to that last part. It says, I have come here to oppose you because your path is reckless. A reckless understanding of Scripture will lead to a reckless lifestyle. And a reckless lifestyle will lead to further reckless reading of Scripture. And you've got this loop of recklessness around God's Word. That's why I take seriously. Why don't we bring our Bibles? Why don't we tremble? Why, why don't we take this so serious? Because our culture says you don't have to. Growing up, you saw people that didn't have to. You maybe had pastors. You maybe had people around you didn't have to. It's a reckless handling of God's word. We pull out a verse. We pull out a scripture to meet our need. Instead of taking the counsel of God and saying, I say yes. Even before you start, God is yes. Now, what are you asking of me? And it's already yes. It's already. 
I'm going to say it again. A reckless understanding of Scripture will lead to a reckless lifestyle. A reckless lifestyle will lead to further reckless reading of the Scriptures. The loop. That's why we are told to rightly and correctly handle the Word of God. God's Word is powerful. And it's being mishandled. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. you got to handle it right. There's a lot of wrong handlings. Let's go back to Numbers 22, verse 33. The donkey saw me and turned away from these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would but I would have spared it, the donkey. Verse 34, Balaam, note what he says. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if, if you are displeased, I will go back. Did Balaam confess his sins? Yeah, it says right there, I have sinned. But I'm going to suggest just as you read it, it wasn't genuine. You can just see that. 2 Corinthians chapter, 10 verse, chapter 7, verse 10, was written to the church. And it says this. This is to the church. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Let me read it again. Godly sorrow, there's two different kinds. Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation and no regret. But there is a worldly sorrow and it brings you death. Two sorrows. Just because you're sorrowful doesn't mean you're sorrowful. <laughs> One sorrow produces repentance and deliverance. The other sorrow produces death. And both the sorrows will say, I have sinned, and both will do it in tears. But they're not the same. They're not the same. I like the part where it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance. Psalms 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who, what? Hmm. That's the criteria. Didn't say those who love him. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Those are the ones he will deliver. Now, I want to use an illustration of this. I have a, a friend. He's an OPP constable. He was telling me of a time when he went down to, uh, to Texas he was visiting in San Antonio, Texas, and he went to John Hagee's church. Anybody heard of John Hagee? Okay, he's fairly popular. He went to John Hagee's church, and it's a big church, big mega church. Uh, he was leaving. He, the cop, my friend, Harry, is telling me the story. He said he was leaving, and he was trying to get out. It's one of those great big old parking lots, and, and, and he, he got all wound around going the wrong direction and stuff. And, and he just needed to get out to the road, and there's a bunch of pylons if he just moved the pylons, he could get out to the road and he could get, get on his way. So he just hopped out of the car and he was moving the pylons. He said as he was moving, he's telling me the story. As he's moving the pylons, security is racing across the campus. He thought he was going to get shot in the spot for moving pylons. Now he himself was a cop. And the security was coming at him fast and furious and mean. And he couldn't figure, he's just, I'm just moving pylons, I want to get there. And the security put them back and, and, you know, railed into him. He had to go the long way and figure out how to get out. And then he realized why the security was like that. Because a few years, and you may know the story, a few years before, it was on a Sunday morning, 
An ex-military man, when John Hagee was preaching, an ex-military man walked up to the front of the platform, eight feet away from John Hagee, took out his 38 and emptied six rounds. Eight feet away. John's a big boy. Eight feet away, all six bullets missed him. Eight feet away, military. I want to read that scripture again. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Doesn't mean no harm will come. It means God is your deliverer. And if we have the fear of the Lord, you can trust his delivering power. If you have the fear of the Lord. So Harry understood why they were a little hyper. You know, maybe Harry looked like the shooter or something. I don't know. Uh, Angels are assigned to protect those who fear the Lord. Praise God. The Bible tells us that Jesus, Jesus is returning for his church. I want to close with this. Jesus is returning for his church. He calls it his bride. Praise God. He's returning for his bride, his church. She is not a relevant church, although relevancy is important. She is not a seeker-sensitive church he's coming back for, although being sensitive to others is important. She is not even a community church, although I believe being in the community and sensitive is important. There's only one description describes the kind of church he's coming back for, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the church he's coming for. All those other things don't matter that much. He's coming for a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, holy and blameless. When we have the holy awe of God, he's coming to the church. It stirs him. We need to embrace the holiness of God as we would a priceless treasure. Proverbs 2 verse 1, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And you will find the knowledge. You will know him. You will really know him. Let's read that again. That's good. If you accept my words, store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. If you call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Beloved, this morning, if we would approach God with that, with that awe, as the treasure he really is, you'll find him. You'll find him. Have an insatiable hunger for the reverence of God. Treasure him as your greatest asset ever. Hate what he hates. Love what he loves. And in so doing, you'll change the world around you. Remember, it's not how we start the race. Finish it for me. It's how you finish the race. It's not how you start it. So finish well. God has given us that holy awe, the reverence of him to accomplish it. Choose today to be a part of a mighty transformational move of holy God that will prepare 
his bride. Well, the groom to come and to receive his bride to be returned back to him. Refuse to be on the outside looking. And I don't want to be watching this. I don't want to be hearing about it. By embracing holy God, you'll find deep intimacy with your bridegroom. And you will leave an eternal legacy behind you. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.